This is Apply the Word, the teaching ministry of Pastor Ty Orr and Water Springs Church. Here's a preview from Pastor Ty of today's message. We have to understand it is in the spirit and in truth that we worship God. He says, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Think about that for just a moment, church. God who created us to worship him, who is worthy of our worship, is seeking those who would worship him, and he's seeking those that would worship him, that would worship him with the right motives in spirit and in truth. But understand this, he goes on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The motives behind your worship are important to God. He wants you to focus on your relationship with Him and on all the blessings that He's brought to you, rather than how, how often, or where you worship. Today, Pastor Ty is going to encourage you to remember the purpose of worship in the first place, to glorify God and to give Him the honor that's due Him for all that He's done for you. Keep Him as the priority in your heart and let the Holy Spirit guide you in your daily alone time with God in worship. Now here's Pastor Ty in the book of John chapter 4 as he continues his message, How We Worship. Whether it's an idol of wood or stone, they're out there worshiping a rock. And I'm going to tell you something, that rock can't save them, but the rock of ages, Jesus Christ, can save them from their sin. And they're worshiping the wrong God. And there's so many times that we come in and we have the wrong motives before a holy God because we come in thinking that God's going to do something because we're now going to bring him praise, which, by the way, he deserves praise all the time. So you understand that when you come and worship the Lord, or you see somebody raise their hands, that's a position of surrender, right? You don't walk around town like this going, that would look weird, right? But see, sometimes this is kind of what I see in the hearts of God's people. Maybe you haven't been to a midweek study in years, and then you have a difficult board meeting or a staff meeting, or you got called into the boss's office on a Thursday. So what are you going to do? I'm going to go to church. I'm going to worship God so God will rescue me from this situation. Do you understand? That's like me trying to butter up my mama for gas money. And so sometimes when we raise our hands to the Lord, that's surrender. It's not gimme, 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 gimme. That's not what we're supposed to be doing. See, God's not a vending machine. What does he say? Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 7, Jesus speaking. He calls out to the religious leaders and he goes, hypocrites. He says, you guys are hypocrites. The idea of you are one thing on the inside, which is death. And the outside, you're trying to look all religious and trying to look all good on the outside and sound good on the outside. But inside, you're a mess. He says, hypocrites. He says, well, did Isaiah prophesy about you? He calls them out. He says, this Old Testament verse, this is about you. This is what it says. It says, these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain, they worship me, teaching the commandments and doctrines of men. These guys were worshiping God in vain because their motives were messed up. Their motives were wrong as they were worshiping the Lord. And we have to have the right motives when we worship God. We have to check our motives when we worship because God, like I said, is not a vending machine. It's not insert song, get your stuff. It doesn't work that way. 
And sometimes people start thinking that way. Well, if I come and I worship the Lord, then he'll do all these things in my life. Let me explain something again, and I want to make sure you understand this. When we come to worship God, we are not here to get. We are here to give. When we come to worship God, we are giving him praise. We are giving him adoration. We are lifting up before the Lord our gift. Now, does God bless us when we worship him? Yes, he does. Does God bless us when we're studying his word as we worship him? Yes, he does. But if we come in with the motive of, I'm here to get, then we've got the wrong motive because like we said, God is not a vending machine. We don't put in a couple prayers and clunk, 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 there's the thing we want. It doesn't work. We are those that are here to give to the Lord. Now, to have good motives starts with understanding the next two things I want to talk to you about. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. It's this, three and four. We worship God in the spirit and we worship God in truth. How do we worship God? Intelligently, with the right motives, in spirit and in truth. That is how God is to be worshiped and that's how we worship him. Please open, if you would, your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter four, verse one. John chapter four, verse one. It says this. And I'm just gonna go through this so we have some context of what's happening. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had baptized more disciples than John, though he himself did not baptize, uh, but his disciples. And so in this situation, he's going to start going on to move. He's been in Judea and he's going to now move because the Pharisees are a problem and the time has not yet come. It's not time for him to be betrayed and to be crucified. And so they've heard that Jesus now has more disciples because they've been being baptized. And so now this rumor's getting around that something's going on with Jesus. And because something's going on with Jesus, he's going to go back towards Galilee again. And it says, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. Why did he need to do that? (laughs) So we have this lesson to start with, but he needed to go through because there was ministry to be done. And it says, so he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground, which Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from the journey, sat thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, what you have to understand is this is getting towards the hot time of the day. This isn't the cool of the day. So ladies, let me ask you a question. If you had to go get water for your family every day and you had a choice to go in the morning or in the heat of the day, how many of you would go in the morning? Right. So this woman comes in the heat of the day. There's a reason she comes in the heat of the day. She comes in the heat of the day because she's ridiculed by the other women when she comes with them because she has some life issues that Jesus is about to call out. Here he is and he's sitting there and a woman of Samaria came to draw water And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For the disciples had gone into the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now, if you don't know who the Samaritans were, when 
Israel was taken captive by the Assyrians. There was a huge portion of the people that were taken away and they intermarried with the Assyrians and they came back. And so the Jews felt that they were impure. They looked at them as a crossbred and so they weren't pure, but they still maintained their Jewish heritage, but they didn't worship in Jerusalem because they weren't allowed. They worshiped where? They worshiped at Mount Gerizim, which was another mountain in the area, which is gonna come up now in our story. And so here she is and she says, hey, we don't have anything to do with each other. What are you talking to me? for? You're, first of all, you're a guy. I'm a woman. That's the, the first issue culturally. The second one is you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Who are you who talks to me? And Jesus said unto her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who said to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. And so where do you get this living water? Now we read that, but we don't understand the attitude. She's giving him some attitude. First of all, why are you talking to me? That's the first attitude. The second one is, okay, you have living water. You have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Okay, you understand? Let's just be honest. She's got some attitude going on here. She's got attitude and she says, hey, where are you going to get this water, big shot? You don't have anything to draw it with. The well's deep. What do you got this living water? Well, she says, well, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his livestock? I mean, are you greater than the guy who dug the well? I mean, what's going on with you? Who are you that you would say that you can give me living water? And And Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of the water of this well will thirst again. That's important. He just said, if you drink of this well, you're going to thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into eternal life. How many of you in this room right now understand he's talking about something spiritual, right? He's saying something spiritual. He says, look, you drink of this water, you'll thirst, but if you drink of the water I give, you're gonna have a fountain that's everlasting life. Something spiritual is gonna happen in your life if you drink from the water that I'm gonna give you. And then she goes, well, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to get water. Did you see she missed it? She said, well, give me this water because I don't like coming out here in the heat of the day. Give me the water so I won't thirst or have to come here anymore. Totally missed it, right? Totally missed it. Have you ever been in church and totally missed it, right? What did the pastor just say, right? What, what just happened? Like totally missed the message. She just totally missed it. So what does Jesus say? Jesus is gonna get to the issue. See, before we can know salvation, we have to know that we're sinners, right? So what does he say? Jesus said to her, well, go call your husband and come here. She said, give me the water. Well, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered, said, well, I have no husband. And Jesus said, well, you have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one you're shacked up with right now is not your husband. That's a paraphrase, <laughs> right? But please understand, that's what he said. He said, look, the man you're with right now is not your husband. You've said, well, you have no husband. You've had five, you don't, and the one you're with right now is not your husband. What does she do now? She says, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. See, when we set it up, that line's actually funny to us now, isn't it? Because he says, yeah, go get your husband. I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't. You've had five, and the one you're with right now, you're shacked up with. That's wrong. And she goes, you're a prophet. (laughs) Do you understand? Jesus calls us out all the time, doesn't he? You ever been in church and have the word just go right in your heart, and you're like, ooh, right? And so God just speaks to the heart and speaks right to it. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she changes the subject. Have you ever done that with God? Right? I see that all the time. I see people in church, right? And it gets to that convicting part of the, part of the passage, right? And it's like, you know, when God says that we need to do this, and all of a sudden people are like, what's going on on Facebook? 
And I was like, right? I've seen people like doing the dating apps in church going, no, no, no. Pastor, you move past the convicting stuff about relationships. I'll get back to you later. You know, it's like, and we do that. We want to change the subject. You know, we want to do it. She wanted to do it. So what does she say? She goes on to the subject of worship, which is why we're using this passage. So she goes on and says, well, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> yeah, good, good girl. <laughs> it says, our father worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So she says, look, if she makes it about worship all of a sudden. Well, you're a prophet. Well, hey, let's talk about worship. I know, wait, we were talking about the fact that you're shacking up with a dude. You're changing the subject. Don't change the subject. But she does. She says, well, you know, we worship on Mount Gerizim, but you say you guys worship in Jerusalem. So where is it? What are we supposed to do? Where are we supposed to worship? And I love what Jesus said. Jesus says, woman. <laughs> and yes, it came across exactly the way you laughed at it. And that's the reason why. She says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. She says, look, there's coming a time where it's not going to matter. And by the way, no, we the Jews, we got it right. You got it wrong. He wanted to clarify the question. He answers the question. He says, there's coming a time. And then he goes on. And what does he say? He says, but the hour is coming, and now is. So this applies to us. So the hour is coming, and now is, that the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. So with the, intelligently, with the right motives, we have to understand it is in the spirit and in truth that we worship God. He says, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Think about that for just a moment, church. God who created us to worship him, who is worthy of our worship, is seeking those who would worship him, and he's seeking those that would worship him, that would worship him with the right motives in spirit and in truth. But understand this, he goes on to say, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. So the question is, are we worshiping in the spirit? What does it mean to be worshiping in the spirit? It's to worship in the realm of the spirit. She's talking about a physical location. Do we worship God in this mountain or in this other mountain? He says, no, neither, because the time is now when we worship him in spirit. How many of you understand what it means when we say God is all present or ever present? How many of you guys understand, right? He is everywhere at every time in every place. God is always present. It's not about going to a temple or to a certain place. God is with us and he's with us now. We can worship God wherever we are because wherever we are, God is there. God is with us. And so when we worship in the spirit, it's understanding that God is to be worshiped in the spirit. It's not about a specific place or location. Aren't you glad that you can worship God anywhere and you don't have to go to a certain place to worship God? Aren't you glad we don't have to travel for hours and hours and hours to find a place to meet with God because our God is with us wherever we are? Because Jesus himself said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is here. Jesus is with us. He's with us now. He's in the house, but he's in your home. He's in your car. He is with you everywhere that you are. And so also the idea of worshiping in the spirit means under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit is God would help us to know how to worship God himself through the spirit of God that is dwelling in us. But we worship not in the frailty of our humanity. It's not about trying to do it in our flesh. Now, how many understand that that term in our flesh or in the flesh is a real church term? We use it all the time in church. And a lot of people don't understand that. 
what I want to help you understand is when we use that term, it's the idea we don't worship God in the frailty of our humanity. We worship God in the power of the Spirit of God. We worship Him spiritually. So in Philippians chapter 3, we can see this. In Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3, Paul, sharing with the Philippian church, he's going to deal with three things. He's going to deal with three things. He says, look, you have to understand that we are of the circumcision, for we are the circumcision, number one, who worship God in the Spirit. That's number one. Number two, we rejoice in Christ Jesus. And number three, and have no confidence in the flesh. So we worship in the Spirit, rejoicing in Christ Jesus, having no confidence in our flesh, that we can get this right in the flesh. Now, young people, let me explain something to you. You will have a tendency to try and do things in your flesh to try and make your flesh seem pretty or right before God when you've got to get right in your spirit. You have to be right in the heart before you try and fix what's going on the outside. Let God fix the inside when God fixes the inside. The outside does take care of itself. But so often we try and make the outside look right. Paul says something very interesting. He says, though I, in verse four, also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he has confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. In other words, anybody thinks they can stand around in the flesh and go, they're a big deal? He goes, I can say more. And what can I say more to? He says, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Israel, the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. He says, that, that stuff in my flesh, I've counted lost. We worship in the spirit, rejoicing in Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. He says, I could boast in the flesh, but I have given all those things in my flesh away that I might know Christ. And now we consider the idea of truth. What is it to worship God in truth? It, to worship God in truth is in the sincerity of heart. It's a genuineness in our heart. But how do we know what truth is? We know what truth is because the word of God is truth. How many of you believe that in this is all thing, are all things that we need for life? Everything's here. This is what we need. So we need to know it. And so all these things are here. In John chapter 14, verse six, it says this, Jesus speaking, he, Jesus said to him, speaking to Thomas, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. In John 17, 17, Jesus speaking, he says, he says, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And so understand that if we want to know how to worship God in truth, we need to know the word of God because the word of God shows us ultimately how we are to worship God. We seek to know God through the word. As we seek to know God through the word, we discover how to worship God in the appropriate way, with intelligence, by searching the word, with the right motives, because God's word deals with our motives and the issues of our heart. For the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide between the joints and the marrow and the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God's word comes and does a work. Please understand in Psalm chapter 145, verse 18. Psalm 145, verse 18, it says this. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. The Lord is near to all who call upon him in truth. For he will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. And regarding those who fear him, it says, and he will hear their cry and save them. God will be with them and save them. But so often we get confused on what worship really looks like from God's perspective. So in Psalm chapter 51, starting in verse 16, going through 17, it says, the psalmist saying, for you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it, and you do not delight in burnt offerings. 
He says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. He says, there's an idea of a brokenness. Remember the shakah, the proskuneho, the taking the lower place, the broken place to be before the Lord. And we worship him with the right motives, coming and giving him praise. And we do it in spirit and we do it in truth. We worship God. And as we worship God, it is a heart issue. How we worship God is a heart issue above everything else. Now, you know that the scripture shows us some physical ways to worship. I don't know if you know that, but we're shown some examples of what like a position of our body might be. So in Genesis chapter 24, verse 26, we see the idea of bowing our heads. So we might come and worship and bow our heads. And it says, and the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord. So the idea of bowing his head, you know, I try not to do that too much to you guys because there's a reflection that can hurt your eyes. But so I did bowing of the head. But we also see in Psalm chapter 95, verse six, it says this, oh, come and let us worship and bow down and let's kneel before the Lord, our maker. There's a bowing of a knees. There's the bowing of the head, the bowing of the knees. And I'm not saying these are things, hey, we're gonna start implementing these things. No, what I'm doing is I'm saying, this is what the scripture says. And these are examples of the physical position of worship. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter two, verse eight, it says, I desire therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting holy hands without wrath, without doubting. So we see the idea of bowing our knee, bowing our head, lifting our hands in worship. And we've talked about, this is surrender, right? This is a position of surrender. I remember the first time I raised my hands in church, my wife and I were still uh, dating and, and we <laughs> went to an, a church that was a very Pentecostal church and people were running around having a great old time in worship and people were raising their hands and I've never raised my hands in church before. And I'm like, I said, I said, should I raise my hand? She goes, I don't know. I guess you could raise your hands. I guess I could. I said, so I did one of these. Whoop. You know, I got, I got a hand up, you know, that was it. It was like, you know, then pretty soon I'm like, hey, look at me. Ha ha. You know, I got two, right? <laughs> then pretty soon it was jazz hands. You know, I had to work into it. I mean, it was uncomfortable. It was a new thing for me, right? It was weird because this is very vulnerable. You guys get that? Right? This is a vulnerable position. And so I had to work my way into that. But look, we bow our heads, we bow our knees, we lift our hands. In Exodus chapter 3, 6, it says that Moses covered his face when he saw the glory of the Lord. Another position that we would see. But we see in Genesis chapter 17, 3, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25, the idea of falling on your face or bowing down, face down before the Lord. And so we see this position of coming and bowing down before the Lord. Listen, we can worship bowed down, hands lifted on our knees. We can worship God while we're standing. We can worship God while we're sitting. We can worship God in the car. We can worship God at work. We can worship God while we walk. We can worship God when we're in one of those little Buddy Holly killing planes and turbulence, you know, because that's where I really worship God. When I go, ah, you know, and so we have all these different ways and all these different places we can worship. You know what? We can worship God wherever we are. But when we worship God, you have to understand this. We worship God intelligently. We worship God with the right motives. We worship God in spirit. We worship God in truth because I want to let you know something. Bottom line, it is not about the position of the body. It is about the condition of the heart. When we talk about how we worship, it is not about the position of our body. Ultimately, it is about the condition of our heart. God is spirit, and those that worship him must worship him as he is, spiritually. And God is truth, and because God is truth, he cannot be worshiped in error. In everything that we do in our worship and how we worship, we worship God 
through the condition of our heart in everything that we do. So before we serve, before we sing, before we do anything, we have to ask this question. Do I know what I'm doing? Is my motive right? Is it in the spirit? And is it in truth? Bring me to The worship you offer to God in your daily life should reflect the state of your heart. He wants you to worship Him in spirit and in truth, and the Holy Spirit should guide you as you worship God, alone and with other believers. Pastor Ty showed you the importance of keeping your focus on God and what He's done for you, rather than the small concerns of where you go when you worship or how often you worship. Apply the Word is the listener-supported ministry of Water Springs Church. We're so glad you've taken the time to be with us today, and we'd like to offer you the opportunity to partner with us in ministry. Would you prayerfully consider becoming a financial supporter of Apply the Word? As a thank you for your gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you a copy of David Platt's book, Radical. Find out how you can contribute and how you can be praying for us by visiting our website, watersprings.net. God cares more about your heart and the reasons behind your worship than what you do when you worship. Next time on Apply the Word, Pastor Ty is going to go into further detail about your worship and different ways that you can express your gratitude to God. Whether a quiet prayer or dancing on a rooftop, God loves all of your worship. It's just a matter of your heart being in the right place and actually worshiping Him. There's more that Pastor Ty has to share from his series, Worship, so be sure to join us again. If you missed any part of today's teaching, you can find it online at watersprings.net. We're so glad that we could be a part of your day today, and we pray that you've been blessed by today's edition of Apply the Word.